In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to continue looking at the um, the letter uh, recording the vision of a man whose name was Hermas, called the Shepherd of Hermas. Um, again, it was written uh, in the first or second century, uh, and the author is a person who used to be a slave. He received a vision, uh, or several visions, um, and he was told in the vision to share all of this with the church. Um, and so it's broken up into uh, five visions and 12 mandates and 10 parables. That's like the structure. Um, and so far we've spoken about the first three visions. Um, one of the most notable things that this man saw in the vision is he sees an angel who was a representation of the church. And this angel is showing him these different things. And one of the things he saw was a tower that was being built up of many different stones. And the tower represents the church, and the stones represent individuals, and all the different stones um, represent different types of people. Um, so some stones are very easily integrated into the tower. These are the righteous people. Um, other stones are uh, cracked or have other blemishes in them or are thrown to the side, not really part of the tower at all, all representing different classes of people, um, some people who are unrepentant, who have been rejected, and so on. Um, and so uh, that was the first three visions we've discussed up until now. Um, so today we're going to start with the fourth vision out of the five. So this vision is a vision of a monster that he saw, and this was 20 days after the previous vision. Um, and it, it was describing uh, a coming persecution, persecution that was about to happen. And Hermas was thanking God for all the visions he had seen so far, and he was asking God to grant him repentance and forgiveness. And so this is what he says. He said, As I was praising and giving thanks to him, an echo, as it were, of my voice answered me, Do not be divided in purpose, Hermas. I had begun to weigh this and to say to myself, how can I be divided in purpose after having been so firmly established by the Lord and after having seen glorious things? So I approached a little closer, brethren, and behold, I saw a cloud of dust reaching up as it were to the heavens. I then began to say to myself, cattle are now approaching and raising a cloud 600 feet away from me. As it was getting ever bigger, I suspected it was some supernatural apparition. So he saw this cloud. He thought it was like the dust of like animals running. But then as it got closer, he, he saw that it was some kind of supernatural event. The sun shone a little, and behold, I saw a huge beast, something like a whale with fiery locusts coming out of its mouth. The size of the beast was about 100 feet, and its head seemed to be of earthenware. As I began to cry and ask the Lord to deliver me from the beast, I recalled the mark I had heard. Hermes, do not fear in your heart. I put on then the faith of the Lord and recalling the wonderful things he had taught me. I faced the beast with courage. Now the beast came on with a rush capable of destroying a city. I came close to it, and for all its size, the monster only stretched itself on the ground without doing anything except project its tongue. In fact, there was not stir in it at all until I had passed by. There were four colors on the head of the beast, black, then the color of fire and blood, next gold, finally white. After I had gone approximately 30 feet past the beast, behold, there met me a virgin decked out like a lady coming from a bridal chamber in all in white and with white sandals. She was veiled to the forehead and her headdress was a turban, but her hair was white. 
I knew from former visions that this was the church. So this is the same angel that represents the church that had appeared to him before. Uh, she is now appearing to him here. And so I became more cheerful. She saluted me with the words, Greetings, my good man. My salutation in turn was greetings, lady. For answer she said to me, Have you met anything? Lady, I said to her, A huge beast met me, capable of destroying peoples. But by the power of the Lord and his abundant mercy, I escaped from it. Yes, indeed, she said, you escaped because you cast your care on God and you opened up your heart to the Lord and the assurance that you can be saved by nothing except his great and glorious name. Hence, the Lord has sent his angel who has set over the beast, whose name is Segri. He has shut its mouth that it may not hurt you, but your faith, but by your faith, you have escaped great persecution because at the sight of such a great monster, you were not swayed by doubt. Go off then and explain to the Lord's elect this, uh, th his wonders and tell them that this beast is the symbol of the great persecution that is to come. If you prepare in advance and repent to the Lord with all your hearts, you will be able to escape the persecution, provided your hearts become pure and sinless, and you serve your Lord blamelessly the rest of the days of your life. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will set them straight. Put your faith in the Lord, you men of divided purpose, because he can do all things and turns aside his wrath from you, while he sends scourges on you who doubt in your heart. Alas, for those who hear these remarks and disobey them, it were better for them that they had not been born. So this monster that he is seeing represents a persecution. It's a prophecy of persecution that the church is going to experience in the future. And he is saying those people who have divided purpose, meaning those people who are not fully committed to God or those people who are living kind of a, a duplicitous life, maybe one foot in the church and the other foot in the world, the people who want to you know, be considered among the believers and among the righteous, but yet they are living a life away from God. Um, this is the, those of divided purpose, where we are trying to worship God and, and mammon. We are trying to worship God and have idols in our life at the same time. For those people, he said, they, when the persecution comes, they will fall because they don't have a strong foundation of their faith. And when the persecution comes, they will doubt and they will fall away from God. But those people who are committed, who do not have this divided purpose, when the persecution comes on them, they will be able to endure it and to escape from it. And so it says something about um, our status before kind of the trial comes upon us. If, if the trial comes upon us and we are unprepared and we have not been doing our part to remain vigilant and close to God from before that, then maybe when the trial comes, it will overpower us and we cannot escape from it. But if throughout our life, even when everything is going fine and there is no immediate kind of disaster or tragedy or trial or, or concern that we have, if throughout all of our life we are committed to God, then when those moments of difficulty come, uh, we will be able to endure. You know, people use the term emergency Christian. You know, maybe a person who never prays and never has any connection to God, never goes to church, never does anything, except in the moment of emergency, then you see them making the sign of the cross and saying a prayer. You know, maybe in our society, actually, this is very common. You know, people have nothing to do with God in any way, but when there's a tragedy, we say, oh, I'm praying for you. Well, in what way are you praying? Why was there no prayer before? You know, do we, is our prayers only reserved in times of emergency when we need God to do something very, very urgently for us? But other than that, God is not useful for us, and so we really don't spend time with him. Is God for us a tool that we use whenever we need him, but yet when we do not need him, we discard him? This is the divided purpose. 
I am either fully on God's side, in which case I live my life fully for God, or I am not. I can't wait until the trial comes and then say, oh, now I'm on God's side. Why? Because I really need him to do something for me. Those people who he's referring here as those having this divided purpose are not going to succeed when the trial comes and they will fall away. So this is why it's very important for us to be kind of committed to God and diligent in our spiritual routine, even when everything is fine around me. I don't do it because I'm in urgent need of God to fix a problem. I do it because I want to be in communion with God at all times. He then asks uh, her, this angel that represents the church, about the four colors that were on the head of this beast. Remember, this beast represents the persecution that is about to come upon the church. And the, the beast had these four colors. So he asked her, said, I asked her a question about the four colors on the head of the beast. She answered and said, still curious about such matters. Yes, lady, I said, tell me what this means. I will tell you, she said. The black is this world in which you live. The color of fire and blood stands for this, that this world must be destroyed in fire and blood. You who flee this world are the golden section, for, for just as gold is tried by fire and becomes useful, so also you who live in the world are tried in it. So then you who remain in it and pass through the flames will be purified. For just as gold casts off its dross, dross is like the impurities that's in the gold, so you also will cast off all sorrow and tribulation, becoming pure and useful for the building of the tower. Finally, the white section is the world to come in which the elect of God dwell, for those chosen by God for eternal life will be without spot and pure. So these four colors, okay? The, the first color of black represents the darkness of the world, the sinfulness that's in the world that we live. The color of fire and blood, so this reddish color, okay, represents that the world is going to be destroyed in a violent way. There will be some violence that is done. This persecution will involve uh, uh, violence. And those who flee from this world, those who depart, fleeing from the world doesn't mean necessarily to physically run away. It means that my heart is not attached to the world, that I have become detached. I have detached myself from the pleasures of this life that are sinful and against God. Those who are fleeing from this are the gold. They are the ones that are tried by fire, that through the persecution and through the trial, they are purified and they are made holy. And those are the ones who will eventually become white. Or the, the white represents the world to come, the purity of the world to come, in which the elect of God dwell. So this is the, this is the goal of persecution. Why, why does God even allow persecution on the believers? It is to purify us, to transform us, so that we can be white and holy. So that's the fourth vision. The fifth vision, he said, As I was praying in my house and sat on my bed, a man of glorious appearance entered. He was dressed like a shepherd, a white skin wrapped around him, a bag over his shoulders and a staff in his hand. He greeted me and, returned, and I returned his greeting. Sitting beside me, he said immediately, I have been sent by the most venerable angel, to dwell with you for the rest of your life. Thinking he was here to tempt me, I said to him, Who are you? I know to whom I was entrusted. He said, Do you not recognize me? No, I said, I am the shepherd to whom you have been entrusted. As he was still talking, his form changed, and I recognized that he was the person to whom I had been entrusted. 
I was confounded at once, and fear took hold of me. I was completely overcome with grief for having answered him so wickedly and senselessly. But he answered and said to me, Do not be confounded, but draw strength in the command I am going to give you. For I have been sent, he said, to show you once more all that you saw before, the most important matters, those useful to you. First of all, write my commands and parables. Write the rest in the order I shall indicate to you. The reason, he said, why I command you to write first the commands and parables is that you have read, is that you may have them to read at once and then keep them. So I wrote the commands and parables as he bade me. If you hear and keep them and walk in them and fulfill them in a pure heart, you will receive from the Lord what he promised you. But if you hear them and do not repent or even add to your sins, you will receive the contrary from the Lord. All this the shepherd, the angel of repentance, commanded me to write as follows. This is actually why this is called the shepherd, because the whole rest of this, this book is all the commands or the mandates and the parables that are going to be given from this angel to Hermas. And he is going to record them and write them down. Okay, and this is this is what we're going to discuss now. We're going to go very quickly over them. Remember, there are 12 mandates. The first mandate is to believe in one God and to fear God. For each one of these mandates, of course, they're much longer. I'm just going to give one quotation just to get a flavor for what is it that, that he was told. So the first mandate that this angel is telling Hermas to write down and then to share with the church. He says, first of all, believe that there is one God that he created all things and set them in order, that he caused all things to pass from non-existence to existence, and that though he contain all things, he himself is uncontained. Right? God is infinite, and even though what he created is contained, what he created is not infinite like him. He is infinite who created the finite. Okay, That's the first mandate. The second mandate is avoid slander and do good. He said to me, hold fast the simplicity of heart and innocence, Yes, be as infants who do not know the wickedness that destroys the life of men. In the first place, do not speak against anybody and do not listen readily to a slanderer. Otherwise, you, the listener, will be guilty of the sin of the slanderer in case you believe the slander you hear. So avoid slander. Avoid speaking bad about another person. Okay, And even do not allow yourself to be in the presence of a person who is slandering and listening to what it is that they say lest you believe what it is that they are saying and you judge this person who is being slandered about um, uh, unfairly. And he says what? If you are uh, allowing yourself to be the listener, then you yourself are guilty of the sin of the slanderer in case you believe what it is that you are hearing and you judge that person. So that's the second mandate. First one is believing in the one God and fearing God. The second one is avoiding slander. The third is do not lie. Again, he spoke to me, love truth and let nothing but truth issue from your mouth in order that the spirit which God has settled in his flesh of yours may be found to be truthful in the sight of all men. Thus the Lord who dwells in you will be glorified since the Lord is truthful in every word and there is no lie in him. This is very important because in our modern day, um, the idea of lying is so ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Lying is a normal, accepted practice nowadays. You know, it used to be that people would identify what a lie is, and lies, lies would be considered shameful. Maybe people would cover up their lies because they don't want to be found out that they are lying. 
because if it is known that they were lying, then then they would be in some kind of trouble or shame because of this. Nowadays, lies are used in order to get what you want, and people are lying publicly, openly, without any attempt to even cover up what the lie is. And people who want to hear these lies, people who desire the, the lie, are willing to accept it. And no one can speak against the lie, because anyone who accuses a particular person of lying is themselves said about them that they are the liars. So Christianity is based and built on truth. That there is a certain set of, of facts that we believe in as true. When we say the Orthodox Creed, we are, we are saying this is what we believe to be true. Not what we believe, to, not, not, not what we want to be true, not what we hope to be true, not, not what makes us feel good about, about it, which is why we say that it's true, but what it actually is. This is, this is what we say, what we believe that the reality actually is. And so anything against the commandments of God, the teachings of God, the person of God is a lie, something that is a falsehood, something that is against the truth. We always have to cling to the truth um, because the world is filled with all kinds of lies. Number four is preserve chastity. I command you, he said, to guard purity. Let it not enter your heart to think of another man's wife, nor about fornication, nor any such thing. If you do, you will commit a serious sin. Keep your wife in mind always, and you will never fall into sin. For if this desire comes into your heart, you will make a slip, and you will commit sin. For any other such wicked thought enters your heart. For a desire of this kind is a serious sin for the servant of God. And if anyone puts into execution such a wicked thought, he draws death upon himself. So the idea of preserving chastity, purity of heart, um, and, and purity of the flesh... You know, many people will look at the command against fornication, for instance, in the Christian commandment, and they will say, why is this damaging? You know, like in our society, it's all about consent. If you have two people who are consenting adults, what is wrong with them having sexual relationship? According to society's view, right? What is wrong with it? Who is it that I'm hurting when, when, when I practice fornication? If there are two people who are consenting with each other, why is there a victim? There's no victim here. Right? There's, not, there's nothing wrong here according to the, the system of the world. Okay? But what is the system of God? What is it that, what is it that God says? That when, when we commit fornication, we are sinning against our own flesh who is made in the image of God. And so we defile the temple of God. We defile the temple of God. And if our goal is to be in communion with God and I defile the temple of God, then how can I be in communion with him? This is not just about free choice. This is not just about consent. This is, just, this is not just about whether there's a victim or not a victim or anything like that. This is about union with God. And if I defile his temple, I cannot be in union with him. This is why we maintain purity. Okay? It has nothing to do with consenting adults or anything like that. It has to do with obeying God and submitting to his will and keeping ourselves pure for him. Right? Keeping ourselves pure for him so that he can fill us with his Holy Spirit. So preserving chastity. The fifth mandate is the praise of long-suffering and the evil effects of anger. Be long-suffering, which means be patient. Be long-suffering, he said, and prudent, and you will obtain the mastery over wickedness and accomplish all justice. For if you are long-suffering, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you will be clear, unobstructed by any other spirit of evil. 
dwelling in a spacious place. He will rejoice and be glad with the lodging in which he finds himself. Thus he will serve God with abundant cheerfulness, because he has his well-being within himself. However, if violent anger enters, the good spirit in his sensitiveness is immediately confined, since he has not a clean habitation. So he tries to withdraw from the place. The evil spirit chokes him. He is unable to serve God in accordance with his wishes. He is befouled by the, spirit, by the violent anger. But the Lord dwells amid long-suffering, but the devil has his abode in anger. When we are long-suffering and patient with one another, when we show deference to one another, when we are slow to anger, when we, 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 we have patience of the, for the weakness of other people, then the Spirit of God dwells in us. But if we are um, quickly lose our temper, quickly become angry with one another, curse one another, uh, maybe are violent toward others, whether physically or whether uh, in our words, then he says that the, the Spirit of God will depart. The Spirit of God will not be able to live inside of us. So this is very important also, that we are patient even in struggles and trials, even with the weaknesses of my brothers and sisters around me, that we have patience with them, just as we want God to have patience with us, just as we also fail, just as we also have weakness, just as we also make mistakes, we want God to have mercy on us. We also have mercy on those people who are around us. And if we are prone to anger, then this is something that can quench the Holy Spirit in us. Number six, the good and evil path. Trust righteousness, but distrust unrighteousness. For the path of righteousness is straight, but wickedness is a crooked path. So walk in the straight path and leave the crooked path alone. For there are no beaten tracks on the crooked path. Instead, there is nothing but wastelands and numerous obstacles. It is rough and full of thorns. So it is injurious to those who walk in it. Those who take the straight path walk smoothly without stumbling, because it is neither rough nor thorny. Hence, you see, it is more advantageous for you to walk in this road. The, the, the good path, the path of righteousness, he's saying it is a straight path. It is a smooth path. It has no obstacles. And it is a beaten path. Beaten meaning many people have walked it before me. Right? So when I, when I walk down this road, I see that there is a path forward. I see that others have walked down the road safely and gotten to the end safely. This is the path of righteousness, the path that leads to salvation and eternal life. Whereas the path of unrighteousness, it cannot be trusted. It is full of obstacles and thorns. It is not a beaten path because there is no path forward. Everyone perishes on this road. Imagine someone is trying to get to a certain destination and they never make it. Everyone who tries to get there they perish along the road. You would never choose to take such a path. You would choose to take only the path that people have gone before and have been successful in reaching the end, the beaten path. And otherwise, if we take the crooked path, we also will perish. He says, there are two angels who accompany man, the angel of justice and the angel of wickedness. But how am I to know their operations, I said, if both are dwelling within me? Listen, he said, and you will understand them. The angel of justice is sensitive, modest, gentle, and calm. So when this angel comes to your heart, he will immediately converse with you about justice, purity, holiness, self-control, every just work, and glorious virtue. When all these thoughts enter your heart, you can be sure that the angel of justice is within you. These are the deeds of the angel of justice. Believe him then and his, believe him then and his deeds also. Now observe the deeds of the angel of wickedness. First of all, he is of violent temper, 
bitter and silly. So, so about the angel of justice that, that, that comes with us, he is the one who uh, attracts us to holiness, to self-control. When we have these thoughts, this is the influence of this angel of justice um, on us. But the angel of wickedness, what are his attributes? It says, first of all, he is violent, uh, violent temper, bitter, silly. His deeds are evil, the undoing of the servants of God. So when you enter your heart, know him from his deeds. So, sorry. so when he enters your heart, know him from his deeds. Sir, I do not know how I shall recognize him, I said. I shall tell you, he said, when violent anger comes over you, or bitterness, you can tell that he is within you. Then there arises the craving for excessive action, extravagance in many things, to eat and drink, which is gluttony, numerous feasts, varied unnecessary dishes, the desire for women, covetousness, arrogance, boasting, and a host of similar related excesses. When they arise in your heart, you can tell that the angel of wickedness is within you. So the, these temptations that stir within us, this is the influence of this angel of wickedness, which is a demon who is trying to tempt us away from God. Mandate 7, on the fear of God. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments, he said. So by keeping God's commandments, you will be powerful in every action, and your action will be beyond criticism. Fear the Lord, then, and you will do everything well. This is the fear you must have to be saved. Do not fear the devil. By fearing the Lord, you will gain the mastery of the devil, for there is no power in him. For there can be no fear of him in whom there is no power. But of him whose might is glorious, there must be fear. For everyone who has power inspires fear, but he who has no power is despised by everybody. So saying only fear God, do not fear the devil, because even though the devil is powerful and he has the power to destroy, and we can quickly fall to him, but if we have God with us, then he is the one with the authority and power over the devil, and he vanquishes him from us, so we are not to fear him if we have God with us. So fear the Lord, because he is the one with the real power, he is the one with you know, true authority, and in him, we can defeat the enemy, the devil. The eighth mandate on continence. I told you, he said, that God's creatures are twofold. Now temperance also is twofold. For in some things we have to restrain ourselves, and in others we do not. Let me know, sir, I said, in what must we restrain ourselves, and in what we must not. I shall tell you, he said, restrain yourself from evil and do not do it. From good, however... Do not restrain yourself, but do it. For if you restrain yourself and keep from doing good, you commit a serious sin. But if you restrain yourself and abstain from doing evil, you achieve signal righteousness. Restrain yourselves from all evil by doing good. So all the things that are evil, we restrain ourselves, but we do not restrain ourselves from good. Meaning whenever we have an impulse to do good, we should not put it off or procrastinate or say, you know, someone else will do it. If I am aware of some good that I can do, I should take the initiative and to do it. You know, even in the scriptures, it says, him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. So even the, you know, sometimes we focus on certain actions that are sinful. And we say, I should stay away from those specific actions because those actions are sin. But actually, it is not only the sin is, is doing certain things. It is not doing other things. It is not being proactive in showing love and kindness, gentleness, forgiveness. Those also are sins. So we have to restrain ourselves from doing evil, but not to restrain ourselves from doing good. The ninth mandate 
unconfident prayer. He said to me, cast off indecision and doubt not in the least when asking anything from God. Do not say, how can I ask and receive anything from the Lord after having committed so many sins? Do not entertain such thoughts, but with your whole heart turn to the Lord and ask him without wavering. You will learn his superabundant mercy. He will not leave you in the lurch. No, he will fulfill the request of your soul. God is not like human beings who bear a grudge. He is without malice and has mercy on what he has made and has mercy on what he has made. Cleanse your heart then of all vanities of this world and of the vices mentioned above. Then ask of the Lord and you will receive all. You cannot fail to obtain all your requests provided you ask the Lord without wavering. This is something that's very comforting to us that even when we fall into sin, when we turn in genuine repentance, he says, what, do not entertain thoughts, such thoughts, but with your whole heart, turn to the Lord and ask him without wavering for, for forgiveness. And God is going to respond. He will fulfill the request of your soul. He is not like human beings who bear a grudge. You know, sometimes maybe we think God bears a grudge because I committed a sin so many times or because I committed a sin willfully or because the magnitude of the sin was so damaging either to myself or to other people and we think that somehow God cannot forgive or will not forgive such a sin because of its magnitude or because its characteristics. But actually here he's saying, no, God is not like a human being. God does not bear grudges in that way. Once we are, are repentant, God will completely forgive. And so this is something that brings kind of hope to us he continues, he says, however, if you waver in your heart, you will not receive a single one of your requests. Those who are divided in purpose are they who waver before the Lord and altogether fail to obtain any of their requests. But those who are wholly perfect in the faith ask everything with reliance on the Lord and they receive because they ask without wavering, without divided purpose. Every man of divided purpose will be saved with difficulty unless he repents. Cleanse your hearts then of divided purpose. Clothe yourselves with faith because it is strong and put your trust in God, confident that you will receive every request you make of him. So even when we ask God to forgive us our sins, we have to ask in faith. We, we can't ask while at the same time not believing that he hears us, not believing that he will grant us forgiveness. We have to believe in faith and he will grant us the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, this is a good stopping point. So we have three more mandates, and then also we have the parables to, to, to go over. Um, God willing, maybe um, next time we can finish the rest of the Shepherd of Hermas as an overview, just to give ourselves an idea of kind of what's in there. I'd definitely recommend everyone to read it for yourself. We're covering very, very small parts of it, um, just to give you a sense, an idea of what's there. But it's a very nice. Um, and again, it's, this is a, a vision that was seen by this man, and he was told to record it and to share it with the church. And the Shepherd of Hermas was read uh, very openly in the, in the early church. It was circulated and was read. And even some of the, the early saints, like St. Saint, uh, Irenaeus, he believed that this was a canonical, actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. So even though we don't believe it is canonical and inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe it's very edifying and beneficial for us to read. Any questions or comments before we conclude? Yes.
Yeah, so the question is, is that even if it wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit, do we believe that it's true? Yes, we believe it's true. I mean, if we didn't believe it's true, then we wouldn't read it. And it wouldn't be a, a book that we accepted in the church, right? So we believe these things happen. But to say that something is inspired by the Holy Spirit is to go a step beyond that and to say it is completely without error. Meaning that whatever Hermes wrote was 100% without error and essentially the Holy Spirit is the author of this book and not a human being. That's what it means to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, but even though you can have many books um, that are beneficial and good, right? Or maybe even many of the sermons that we hear, right, are beneficial and good. But that doesn't mean that they're 100% without any error. But yes, we believe this is true. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, God, for this day and for every opportunity you give us to come again and repent, O Lord. We thank you for sharing with us the wisdom of those who came before us in the early church. We ask, O God, that you open our minds to understand more and more about our faith and what we believe and grant us, O Lord, a heart of repentance. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us as they are daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.